Sarah Silverman, thanks for being here. When did this all start? When it first happened in my early teen years, I was about 13. Oof, that's young to hallucinate in a mirror. Yeah, um, yes, I, uh... But why animal of all creatures? I remember that perplexing me. What would you do to stop seeing him in the mirror? Look in the mirror less. Right. Anima everywhere. Yeah, yeah. When you come out the other side, you're even richer for it. Oof, that's intense. Thanks for showing me what you see in the mirror. I wonder why animals so drawn to you. We both extreme. Oh. <laughs> and I just thought, oh right. He's so realistic looking. I could see him right there. That animal guy is intense. Anima! Yeah! <laughs> I'm trying to talk to Sarah. Get out of here! Animal like animal flesh! He's a pain in the ass. Sorry, Sarah. Well, I still feel good about this talk. Thank you, as do I. <laughs> Welcome to episode 12. Yeah, this week we have Team Love Records recording artist Shauna Falana. We talk about how she makes her awesome music. We talk about, you know, little things like how to deal with life and how to keep life interesting when it often gets repetitive and uh, how to cope with all kinds of addictions. There's a lot in here to help a lot of people, and uh, that's what Shauna does. She helps people, not only through her music, but through her actual actions. All right, I hope you enjoy. First, we're going to hear a song of hers. I think it's the single that's out on Team Love Records. You should get her album. It's called Set Your Lightning Fire Free. Here's Shauna.
Full disclosure, you're the closest person that I've had on the podcast. I already know a lot about oh, you. buddy. Yeah, but I'm going to try to do it in a way where the listeners don't know that I already know you. So it's a little hard because I'm trying to compartmentalize, put myself in the place of the listener. Right. You do, can't. do you want me to ask the questions today, being that we, we just met? Oh. What is the questions? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. I mean, no offense, but I do want to have a conversation with Gary. Of course, I'm. I'm kidding. To because yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I'm no, you don't you have do to answer. Me. I do it, and you don't have to answer anything that is too personal for you. Right. Okay. Of course. But this is your debut album, and you've been a musician for a long time. What took you so long to get here? Hmm. You and I have led parallel lives, even though we just met a few years ago. We were both in San Francisco in the 90s. We've known each other for five years. Yeah. Hasn't God, time is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what took me so long? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it didn't take long. Maybe that's like, Mm. you know, like I feel like everything's right on time. I, I used to think that, like, what's taking so long? Like, I felt like, you know, um... Well, nowadays with kids, these kids are growing up with all this stuff mm-hmm. and they're coming out with recordings and when they're 16 mm-hmm. and like everyone's very career focused, they already know there's all this information out there. They know what to do mm-hmm. where I think we were just kind of learning stuff and, mm-hmm. but you bring up a good point. What is on right on time? Everyone blossoms at their own time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely felt like that. I guess, to, I mean, the fair question would be that, um, I mean, it does have a lot to do with sobriety. Mm-hmm. Like, I did have to get sober in order to have any further furthering of my music career. And So, using uh, held you back from finishing a project? Well, I mean, I wasn't even... I, I was creating. Using mm-hmm. was great for writing albums and albums worth of material, which uh-huh. is what I'm releasing now, honestly. But... Um, but I, it wasn't like I was trying to be on a label when I was, you know, still in that world. It was, but I also was very strongly getting a message through the channels, you know, that be that I had to get sober in mm-hmm. order to keep furthering with, you know, like any sort of career at all. If I had dreams of being on a label, I wasn't going to get that if I was high. Mm-hmm. That's what came through. So that's when I started getting sober. That's when I moved upstate. Mm hmm. And, um, I think it's just, I think it just took its time, whatever that is long or short, because now I realize like the process, like I've gotten so much more out of like the slowness of things. If it is slow, you know, like what, what was your drug of choice? Oh, really? Um, heroin, opiates, cocaine, alcohol, acid, (laughs) of choices. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I mean, opiates were definitely like, um, an antidepressant for a long time. Mm -hmm. How long were you using that for? Oh gosh. Because I mean, you hear so many bands. Not that long. Uh huh. I mean, you just the Rolling Stones. I used it in San Francisco too. I had a whole stint in my early, early twenties with it. Mm -hmm. Got off of it for a long time. Just Mm -hmm. smoked pot for like, I used to say I was just pot sober yeah, for like years and years, you know? Well, I believe in that. 
I don't think pot for most people. Some people it's an addictive thing. That they, I guess anything can be an addiction. People are definitely addicted yeah. to weed. <laughs> we're, we're just talking, I mean, relationships can be an addiction. Sure, they can yeah. be addicted to anything, really. There's 12 step, step uh, classes or whatever they are for everything. Really? 12 step meetings, yeah, for yeah. For relationships, too? Yeah. So Sex funny. and love addiction and right. codependency meetings. Codependency, yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I think what took so long, if, if we're going to stick with that question, is just that I kind of had to get my shit together internally. Mm-hmm. In order to, um, I don't know, just tour and do all the stuff that it and make money to to support a record, mm-hmm. you know, I think I spent fourteen thousand dollars last year between recording costs and campaigns and touring and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Investing in your career, yeah, that's good. It's it admirable. Is good. Well, it's like <coughs> some people go to college, right? And spend way more than that, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> you know, or start their own business. And yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, the cost of opening a restaurant just, like, amazes me, and people do it all the time. They it's, do? Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Oh, I feel like for musicians, it's an unfortunate thing, but we grow up as... If you want to be a musician, we grow up with people like Keith Richards, and everyone's a heroin addict, and they're successful. And you're like, oh, I got to do that if I want to be a successful musician, because Keith Richards did it, and it's cool. Do you think using was just part of the rock and roll path? Oh, no. Using was more personal. It was like this bridge to whatever side I wanted. So if I wanted to get spiritual, it was smoking pot, doing acid, taking mushrooms. If I wanted to, um, you know, go to the dark side, I would use like dope. If I wanted to explore headier topics and mm-hmm. like really psychoanalyze things, you know, cocaine, crystal meth, like mm-hmm. it was just always about um, learning mm-hmm. and being creative. What did I want to create? Cause that's what I would do when I was high on whatever I would always be creative. So you were using them as tools at, mm-hmm. at first, at least mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And were you writing and recording or just writing? And yeah, it, well, yeah. And so in San Francisco, I was mostly high, like on pot doing music. I don't think I did music when I was on dope in San Francisco. What but would you do when you're on on heroin. <laughs> on heroin in San Francisco. Like, what would, what would your time look like? Um, let's see. Uh, I was really, I mean, I was really into music. I would definitely listen to music. I was working um, at Muddy Waters on 24th and Valencia in the Mission. Yeah. And uh, I guess... God, I probably saw you there. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I can't really remember, which isn't too... I mean, I was really into witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So I was like casting circles. I was. I remember listening to Sonic Youth in my apartment on 23rd and Shotwell, listening to Sonic Youth and just trying to figure out how they were making the sounds that they were making. While you were high? Yeah. yeah. Like I just remember listening to music high and just totally absorbing it and just like really feeling like the weight, the mm-hmm. dark weight of you know well they say like a lot of times in our memory we don't remember the things the specifics but we remember the feeling of the time like the emotion of a situation will stick with you way more than the details Mm -hmm. that makes sense when you think about that time it does it i mean you said it was a dark time when you think about it like is it it, does it cloud your memory does that did the heroin cloud your memory more than even smoking pot 
Oh, so that kind of like the chemical question? Chemically. <clears throat> I don't think so. I mean, actually, my memory of that time is a little more vivid than. Mm -hmm. It is, huh? Yeah. So you remember? That's like seared into my. What is it? Details are seared in or just the feelings of things? Yeah, just like, I don't know. Like, I just remember everyone's names from that. I remember my phone number. I remember, uh -huh. you know, like I just, I was really in touch with stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I was really like waking up. Like drugs for me were all about, because I was, I was kind of a goody goody all in high school. Like I, I came in later. I was scared as a child. Scared I, of what? Just people, fear of people, lots of anxiety. I, until I got sober, I had no idea how much anxiety and like fears I walked around with. And I think drugs for me, like I was terrified of them forever. And then once I kind of, you know, crossed into that world, I was like, shit like uh -huh. you where know did you, where did you go to high school free finally where did you go to high school los altos high california yeah oh, so okay. silicon valley mm -hmm. now but it wasn't then you know i think most people are unaware of how much anxiety and fear they carry oh around, my goodness yeah you know? and, and most people aren't as fortunate as someone like you or myself or gary to really be in touch with that sort mm -hmm. of thing i think most people are just carrying around fear and anxiety all day long and not realizing they can have a different life yep Especially in New York City. I mean, there's a lot of anxiety in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. I mean, even in San Francisco, I remember feeling like I was eating steak every day. <laughs> Just visually, like, all the homeless people, all the, yeah, you know, all of it. Like, it's just, life's a lot to take in. And, yeah. You know, how to process that. Especially because you're moving from a smaller town to a city. Oh, from the peninsula, you mean, yeah. where I grew up? Yeah, my dad lived in the city, though, since I was five. Okay, so, so you had experience with city, yep. with San Francisco City. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> See, I grew up in New York, and I remember specifically getting to San Francisco and be like, this is a city? <laughs> it's not a city. <laughs> it yeah. is a small city. It's yeah. a small, compared to New York, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, basically traveling the U.S. growing up in New York is just a series of disappointments. Because <laughs> you see them on the map, and they look <laughs> equal to New York. You're like, this is not a city. That was my experience. It's a good place. San Francisco is like a good place to like nurture your art and have a supportive community. Like we would all go to each other's shows and, mm -hmm. you know, it was this huge nurturing scene. Everyone loved everything that everyone was doing. It was just. You, you found it supportive? I did. At that time. I mean, I mean, I, I'm stuttering now. I mean, um, I think I started creating in uh, 94, okay. 93. And, you know, it was dead by 2000. That's when everyone kind of The scene. Left. That's yeah. when it, see, that my experience of San Francisco is different, maybe because I grew up in New York, but when I got to San Francisco, my sense of humor had to change. Aww. Like, they didn't... The they didn't like your cynicism. Did not like cynicism. No edginess. Right. And uh, I found San Francisco to be a city of lost souls. And I think maybe it's just in relation to New York, where New York is very settled in its ways. Yeah. I love California for this aspect of, like, anything can happen. Right. There's a feeling in California in general where anything can happen. There's an open-mindedness. Like, in that Joni Mitchell song, California, you know, it's not old and cold and settled in its ways. It's right. California. It's open. Right. And uh, I guess she was singing about that in the early 70s, and it's still like that. Huh. You know? Well, she was singing about L.A., yeah. Actually. Yeah. But. And it's true because I lived in LA and it's like you, people are hanging out in coffee shops all day. I think that's just the history of it. I mean, California was one of the later developed states. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so much moved to that, you know, from whatever, from the 20s through the 
it's 50s, still, 60s, and I, th I guess it's continued that way. Is sort it's of the, a psychological the, difference the, in people. The Wild West, the, the frontier. Yeah. But that's so interesting that you found it nurturing, because I found it to be quite the opposite. Yeah. Well, did you go to Star Cleaner shows in the Mission? A couple times, yeah. 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 So that was there. the scene. You did? Yeah. Which totally. band? Heavy Pebble. Sweet. I yeah. love that name, by the way. I know there's a t-shirt. You yeah. guys still have a Heavy Pebble t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that place was fun because you could bring your own beer and just sit yeah. there. And people would sit They had and valerian drink. tea. That's what we would make. It's oh, valerian tea right, and right. couches. And yeah. Yeah. So those were my, those were my, like, that was my community. Those were my people. And this is your first, this is like right after high school? No. After high school, I... No, I went to L.A., and then I went to Bozeman, Montana for a long time. I lived in Colorado, and then I, I went back to San Francisco, and then I moved to Europe for a little while. Really? Back. Why were you traveling all these places? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. I was with, I had, like, either a different boyfriend, or mm -hmm. I just got an idea in my head that I wanted some sort of different atmosphere, you know? Like, Not when the... I was, witchcraft, like, kind of led me to Ireland in my mind, mm -hmm. and England, so I was like, oh, I want to go over there, but of course, I didn't spend all my, you know, I was, like, other places, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I was just interested in different things. Was this all combined with drug use, or is this, like, a totally separate thing? It was when I was young, mm -hmm. taking yeah. So I went to Mont when I went to Montana. I like discovered acid. Okay. <laughs> Why then, Montana? Um, an old girlfriend of mine was moving there, and okay. I was in LA at the time that she brought it up, mm -hmm. and I was drinking a lot, and I was like, I need to go raise myself in a more wholesome environment. So what I, was that wholesome environment? Montana. Okay. Bozeman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought I should take myself to a small town yeah and then i became an interested in acid and like psychedelics and stuff but there. that's normal for a post post high school person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so i did like two years of college dropped out started playing music and mm -hmm. just what did you go to college for originally um abnormal psychology ah yeah. okay yeah and how come you didn't stay oh i found out that um to have a phd i would have to in school for like eight Ever. years or something and i hated school i really did i loved abnormal psych but mm -hmm. i just hated being you know yeah in school and um i felt like i've heard you say it too on the podcast like you know living life is a school oh yeah it's great especially moving around like that mm -hmm. did gary say that yeah oh. on the last podcast i thing. did yeah i don't listen to myself <laughs> neither do i yeah uh, so, <laughs> you ended up settling in San Francisco after traveling to Ireland and Montana. I thought I'd never say that sentence. Ireland and Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I would always come back to San Francisco. My dad always lived there. At that point, he had a house on the Lower Haight. Mm. And, um, I, yeah, I lived with him off and on for years. So, you're still pretty productive i mean while you were using you're fairly productive but not finishing is that what was happening mm, i don't know no it was just free mm -hmm. i wasn't worried about it you weren't until i ran out of stuff uh-huh because yeah. i find with this we were into crystal meth then that was like uh -huh. like in the early 90s it was all before it was cool it was crystal meth in san francisco there were like delivery guys on motorcycles mm -hmm. and 
because I find this, I find the the new the younger generation to be very goal oriented. Mm. Oh yeah, no, this yeah. Like kids, right. kids now, like they they're just they have everything right on their laptops. They have YouTube. They have all these podcasts. They have like every bit of information easily at their fingertips. Right. And I think before their brain even develops, which is what we're talking about, like you're developing, you're figuring out your way. It's like they already think they know what they want and then they know how to get to it. So they get it together and it's like they're finishing making movies. Like you go on YouTube, you see these 16-year-old kids. They've got their channel, subscribe to my channel and they release videos. It's like crazy. It is a little intimidating, right? I don't think it's intimidating. I find no? it sad. Oh, really? Yeah, when I see all these... I find it amazing. I find all these kids that want to be celebrities sad because mm. their brains oh, aren't even developed. Yeah, okay. they're always like, duh, 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 doing wacky stuff and then pointing down, subscribe to my channel. Right. And you're 16 years old. Are you sure? You know? <laughs> the best thing you could do for that kid is not subscribe to his channel <laughs> and just let him go to Bozeman, Montana and Ireland and like figure out oh, what he geez. wants to do with his life. That's what I'm getting from you, is that you're figuring out what you want to do. And what's, tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe you weren't a goal-oriented person. Like, you weren't like, I have to get signed, I have to do this, I have no. to finish a record, and then I have to release it, and I have to tour it. You weren't like that. No, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, no. I, <laughs> absolutely not. I was, I was into people. I was into um, I was stuff. I was always into psychology. I was always into metaphysical stuff i was always into um you know why are we here mm -hmm. and how can i be you know more creative and who's doing what and how can i help i was always into service work i remember oh, doing you were huh yeah i remember being in school in la or long beach and um I had some downtime, so I went and volunteered with autistic kids, mm -hmm. and I went and worked at the women's shelter watching their kids when they went on job interviews. Like, I was just. How old were you, when you when you were doing that? 18, 19. That is not, that is so atypical. <laughs> I, I mean, 18 and 19 year olds, like, me, 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 give me, give me. And yeah. you're helping other people? Yes. Volunteer? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's super admirable and rare. Yeah, I guess it is. I kind of see that now at the time i was just like well i have free time and mm -hmm. people need help did, where did that come <laughs> from was your were your parents any like a nurse or any corners no no my parents are actually more self-centered are they yeah yeah yeah. okay because ashley morris who we had on here you remembered she, all those yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she grew up with people with her parents like in the church and taking people in and she's still oh, right. that's right i remember she, and now she's like always helping people she just posted on facebook today i'm in la can anyone bring peanut butter to this old woman on la brea you know she's like constantly Aww. doing this service work for people I love it. I don't know. Yeah, I've just always... It's so funny because it's it, it, early childhood, I would say, like, one of my first addictions, honestly, was, like, I would steal, like, jewelry from my grandmother. Uh -huh. I remember I got caught once. It was really embarrassing. And I would eat, like, food. Those were, like, my two, like, favorite things, just to, like, eat lots of sugar and then, like... Mm. Would borrow you, would you put her jewelry on and just sit there and eat snacks <laughs> like, look at me i'm fancy oh my goodness and then um but then i was you know so i always had this like little secret life you know but uh, then i would also like on the other end i would also be like i think it, you, a good girl well you said something there that i think is uh parallel i'm gonna crack open a, a beer i'm gonna relapse here on the show <laughs> right. oh no yeah. it's diet coke diet coke 
Well, a secret life, you dressing in your par- in your grandmother's jewelry. Well, one piece of jewelry, not. Mm-hmm. She was an Avon sales lady. <laughs> wow! But so I, I, I didn't like all of the jewelry. <laughs> I hear that from addicts. You though. were a selective thief. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother had better taste. I would take Actually, so much more of her. I stuff. don't even think I was a thief. My mom told me I was a. Th- You're a thief. But You're you gave a it thief. back. I, I got caught with it, but yeah, I did. Were you Were you trying to? Actually, oh, you I think were my grandmother it. let me have it. She so let me your, have your it. mom just like demonized mm-hmm. just your your playful creativity yep. and curiosity. Yep. I mean, all kids go Lie. into their parents. Well, just play dress up with yep. their, their parents' stuff. You play pretend. You want to see what it is to look like and feel like an adult. Thank so you. So it might have been very innocent, but Thank your mom you. made it something bad. She did. And put you on your way Thank to you. years of addiction and yes. struggles. Yes. Blame we it can on Blame it all on <laughs> Linda. <laughs> I like that name, Melinda. Linda. Oh, Linda. Oh, Linda. that's yeah. 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 Your, your grandmother should have bought less jewelry and named her Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, you said that was your secret life and sugar in the, all in the same sentence. And I think that's kind of. I mean, that's what you hear from addicts is like they love the secrecy of being an addict, almost as much as the drug itself. Well, because for so for me it was. Only, I mean, yeah, I, only child, mm-hmm. and then also just, and lots of time alone. Mm-hmm. So I did have a lot of secret lives that didn't even mean to be secret, but I just was alone. Yes. And then, and, and then also just like not wanting, not wanting to be labeled like a, a bad girl, you know, like I liked being thought of as a good girl, but right. so I kind of wanted to keep it a secret so that I didn't get into trouble. You know, that kind of stuff. It's odd that you would spend some time as an 18, 19 year old helping other people. I know you do that now. Right. You're very hmm. uh, engaged in service work. Mm-hmm. Did that stop for a while? Mm-hmm. It did. Well, it just ch- it turned into like, you know, setting up shows at Star Cleaners, like doing the door and, mm-hmm. you know, sweeping up afterwards and... Star being cleaners. at house parties and doing the dishes. Star Cleaners is a an artist collective in San Francisco mm-hmm. in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's still very helpful, but right, it's just so, doing different things. Yeah. Well, there's is there a community aspect to uh, as obviously to that, but is there a community aspect to the other service work you were doing? No, no, I don't think so. No. I, I didn't. I wasn't there long enough to experience it. Mm-hmm. I think I only did it for like a month here, a couple months there. Mm-hmm. But and you're doing community work now. Yep. Okay. So yeah. I was alluding to that. Yep. Well, so, yeah. I know. Yeah, I know you, you, you do a lot of. Are you, are you getting to that? I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, Gary. No, there's <laughs> no agenda. <laughs> what, what are you doing now? Now, um, well, uh, how to say it. So now I, well, since I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol, um, I help other people do it, recover. Yeah. So I go into rehabs and institutions and occasionally a jails. I had a commitment at the jail for a while in my town. Is this with an organization or yeah, by yeah, yourself? Yeah. It it's is? with one of the twelve step organizations. Okay. So they I'm get learning you. how to speak about it like without using the name because that's one of the traditions is that you don't bring its name into radio, press, or AA. film. <laughs> oh that 
Well, I mean, people should know it's out there, right? <laughs> I mean, Marin does it all the time. He's always like blowing through AA traditions and stuff. But yeah, uh -huh. you're not. You're supposed to talk about it in a general way because. Well, how are people supposed to Google it and find meetings if well, they don't know the name? It's about. It's about. Um, it's not about promotion, right? It's about like people wanting what you have and asking you like privately maybe instead of like being on a microphone and saying but you know just i, I respect hey, I that but to play life. devil's advocate let's say someone is listening right is what gary said and said hey this this woman sounds really cool sounds like she's gone through some shit and turned out to be a really great person what it how has she done this if you don't say it they'll be like well i don't think it's aa she Doesn't would have said that everyone know <laughs> now though about like well i guess I'd everyone surprised doesn't. yeah i think that some people might have you know heard something negative about it you know it's a cult right something like that it's too <laughs> religious or, or something like yeah, this but if they hear is. someone that maybe they relate to otherwise that doesn't seem like a religious person seems like an art an artist good person that it has helped you and now you're using it to help others isn't it good that that person knows? i think so i mean that that's the thing there's stuff about the organization that you know, I love, and then there's other stuff that it's just like, I get it, but. Mm -hmm. But you don't personally agree with? Well, I play with my own version of it, you know? Doesn't everybody do that with everything? Some people are like that hardcore thing, you know, like mm -hmm. the, they, they call it like the big book thumpers or whatever, you know, they're uh -huh. like, they're really like. Um, by the rules, by yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I, I respect that, but mm -hmm. so I try and be respectful so and you, to practice so you've learned all these tools to help people and help myself and yep. help yourself can you help us oh uh, right because you like the therapy aspect of oh your i show. do I, I and do. you're in therapy too right yeah you, I totally you have a therapist i do yeah that's so cool um even though she actually just gave me the boot <laughs> full disclosure <gasps> she said she wasn't qualified enough Really? What, yeah. Why? Why would she too even many, take you on? <laughs> too many issues came up, and she's like, "I think I'm not qualified enough. I think you should." Whoa! Uh, yeah. How did you feel about that? I was very uh, confused, and uh, I was like, "I told her I don't think now is a great time. Let me just keep coming, and then I'll." So, and her supervisor read my file apparently and said, "There's, she's not qualified enough to handle your issues. You should go." here and gave me a number you broke your therapist it's not the first time <laughs> it's not it's, <laughs> this is what happens when you go to budget therapists i was just gonna say it sounds like a therapist in training totally no she's just she's fresh she's new oh but you she, don't want that she has good intuition i'm when i'm in therapy i kind of feel like i'm doing it myself you just me talking and me hearing myself talk i'm working it out really i loved like when we saw that one should i say her name she, yeah, she's not practicing anymore. She isn't? Nope. She quit. She went crazy. No, she moved to France. She was on no, her way. No, she's living here. She is? I emailed with her just a month ago, yeah. Oh, I tried Deborah to get her Budnick. here on the podcast. I know, I remember I was yeah. suggesting her. She She's a therapist that I saw in New Paltz. And um, Gary, too, I think you saw yeah. her a couple times. But mm -hmm. I loved her. She was great. She was so affordable. She took everyone's insurance. And she... She just would always like speak up and give me advice and just be like, you know, don't do that, do this. And this is what worked for me. And I don't, and she had great advice and she was so assertive. And it's like, I love that kind of therapy. You like the therapist that gives, that speaks back and totally. gives her opinion. Totally. Yeah. She would tell me a story. Like, this is mm -hmm. what my, me and my husband, like, she would tell right. me like <laughs> stuff. And it would just free me of whatever. 
thing I had going on in my head. And most therapists just listen and let you talk and like work that. it out. I don't like mm-hmm. that. I don't like that. If you're a kid, I think that that's appropriate. Right. I had a therapist when I was a kid, and she would listen. And I, but like when you get older, man, you have some decisions to make about some shit. You, you want some input, yeah, some guidance. Yeah, probably depends on the person. I think for someone like either of you or, or myself that that has a good. Uh, community of friends and family that they can also speak to they don't need to just talk they need some answers but there's probably a lot of people that go to therapy that have no one they can speak to so just to have someone listen could be a good thing yeah there are different styles but i say i say you could do better gary I'll try someone else. It, it is like being broken up with, though. You know? I bet. Yeah. I know. It was sad when Deborah and I were on the phone. We like we had worked together for a couple of years, almost straight, and then she's like, "You don't need me anymore." And it was our last session. I had no idea. She gave you the boot just like that. Yeah, no she was like, "You don't really need this anymore. You're doing okay. Like, do you really want to continue?" And I was like, "Oh, I guess not." You know, <laughs> and that was did, it. Did you go through like some weird emotions after? Afterwards? Yeah, yeah, I felt really like sad mm-hmm. yeah well because you invest all this time and emotional energy into this person and then all of a sudden it just stops like that yeah but then also i felt like that like you know it kind of felt good to feel like i had a, a therapist you know like okay like right. work it out in therapy next yeah. week or whatever you have that rock that you can go to next week and then it's kind of cool though because it's like a little bit of a training wheel that comes off and then you're like okay i guess i'm doing this on my own and then you are okay, you know? Yeah, but it wasn't. Unless you're not okay. Are we ever okay? Are we <laughs> yes, ever okay? Yes. I'm okay. I am yeah. okay. I have so many tools. I'm good. You do? Can yeah. you share some of these? Oh, right, right, right. Back. Oh, see, look, I did a good job. I brought it right back around to that. Some tools. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm getting over a cold. Um, I would say start with humility. Mm-hmm. Humility. So what do you mean by humility? Just knowing that you're not the center of the universe kind of thing? I just, yeah, whatever, wherever you can go with that word, like humbling yourself, you know, like not needing to be right. Um, not believing we were, it was funny. I was, I was at a meeting last night and we were talking about, um, what spirituality is, mm-hmm. I guess. And so much of what is at the heart of spirituality is humility. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you are someone that prays, which I'm not really, but, um, you know, instead of praying for what you think other people need, just like pray for whatever it is that they need, you know, like just not thinking that, you know, everything like, having some humility like you think that you're being the spiritual person because you're praying for other people to like get their thing or whatever it is that you think they need Uh and it's like just that alone is like the arrogance of Mm -hmm. of you know the mind you know and it's on, on all under this guise of of being this like spiritual person or this giving person and all of that can be very manipulative actually and and uh it's not giving. It's not coming from a good place. It's don't turn from. into a cult leader, basically. Well, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't think that you know everything. Be um, be open and and willing to like see things from mm-hmm. a million other perspectives. Right. Right. So what would which be- might be a little hard for you because you have that cynicism, right? You're the New York cynic i I mean you're open-minded but i've i know that you hit walls sometimes i don't know what i am i honestly don't cool well that's good you're malleable 
I, I like that way you, you put open minded but hit some walls. I think that <laughs> no, no, yeah. I think that that's a good description. I mean, not only for Gary but for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, humility is a really good tool. Well, it also helps you connect with other people. I would imagine. It, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I then mean, the compassion can come in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rest- then you can you know not speak like you were saying, um, Matt. You were saying that um, you didn't want to talk over people. You also wanted the guests to be able to sort of talk and like you would have an idea, but you kind of hold it in. And, like that exercise of sort of hearing the thought in your head, but not having it shoot out of our mouths, you know, like, um, just kind of being quiet, like listening more and just taking things in Mm -hmm. and then just seeing what your brain does with what you're taking in, you know, what are the thoughts around stuff? I think Mm -hmm. when, when you start just with those basic things and you can kind of, cause you want to hear how you're processing the world. You know, are you being judgmental of everyone? Mm -hmm. You know, that should be happening. This person should be doing that, you know, whatever. Because all of the judgment stuff is a reflection of um, how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, like, I've been working on that a lot this year. Like, self-esteem, my insecurities, like, not being so judgmental has, like, actually made me feel more confident. Right. You know, just all that kind of internal work. Being judgmental is exhausting. It's such a waste of energy. Well, and it's exhausting to change the pattern also, (laughs) all these thoughts that we have. Right. Like if you're not doing this kind of stuff and you're just going to, you're going to check it out or start, it's like, I mean, that's really what all this overwhelming, that's what all this stuff is, whether it's recovery or self-help or Buddhism or spirituality, it's just changing your way of thinking. Your Vipassana work. Yeah. Or even like self-help guys. I loved hearing you talk about Vipassana. Yeah. I I don't know. I think meditation is great, but like, even like all the self-help guys like Anthony Robbins and Wayne Dyer, they talk about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is basically changing the way your brain, changing your brain patterns. Which is tie, which is basically the same as Buddhism, where you just you observe a pain or an, or something that's aching you, and you don't analyze it. You just say, you just observe it, and then it goes away. And it's like a lot of this stuff is basically the same, no matter what you know form it takes. I loved so again the guest that was here, the comedian slash healer. Uh huh, Jeffrey Gurian. Jeffrey Gurian, episode eleven. <laughs> there's episode that, 11. that few that i can remember no it's great that's yeah. so cool that you have 11 episodes but um i loved how he was talking about you know changing his stuttering and how he worked on it was just changing his thinking hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um... And how, he, you know, he was telling himself, you don't need to do this. This isn't something, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you right. know, just all the different thoughts that he would force into his head and mm-hmm. like almost like a mantra, like he would just, you know, chant 
basically. Yeah. Well, know? one thing I think recovery groups are good for, and I won't say the name of the big one, but <laughs> one thing they're good for is giving uh, addicts a community. Because I know addicts, they're often very lonely because they live in secrecy and it's so judged by society. It's the disease of loneliness is what they call it. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, it's totally, you know, you feel like you're this little cretin out of society doing this cretinous thing. And then when they get clean, you can kind of join society. I think that's like, that's a big thing of happiness is feeling like you're part of a community. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like it's sad the way things are going, where the houses are getting bigger, the space between everyone is getting bigger. Mm-hmm. It's kind of going opposite of community. Yep. Our house is getting bigger? Yeah. People well, are, maybe not in Brooklyn yeah, or New York. Yeah, not for no, your no, listeners here. I like think are getting smaller here. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, That's yeah, true. it's true. Like, a family would live in what we would consider a one or two bedroom. Yep. You know, would hold, like, six people. Yeah, people used to live with their grandparents. Sure. They, yeah. Now you send them off to hospice and let them die. Oh. <laughs> is that the everyone. cynicism you were talking yes. about? All right. That's it. There it is. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> okay. So we've learned one thing from you, Shana. The humility. That's number one, right? Yeah. What is number two? Okay. What is number two? Um, now, these aren't the steps. Mm-mm. These are just tools. These that are you like learn. maybe you could even say the principles, you know? Uh huh. Um,. Geez, and of course I'm going blank, but uh, um, I mean, it's I mean, powerlessness. I would say, like, uh, powerlessness is actually the first step of any twelve-step program. But just that's the one I don't like. No uh, one does. Yeah, no one likes it. I don't think it's uh, for me. I'll speak for myself. I don't think it's good for anybody to be powerless. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I don't know. I just don't, I don't. You have to let go of, of your old thinking in order to attain a new power, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like there's a power in powerlessness, right? That's the yin and the yang. Oh, okay. That's the. Now you got me back. The Buddhism. Okay. 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 <laughs> so, maybe you know, it's, it's like non-action is an action. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. taking an action is, is an action. It's the act of passing. <clears throat> Correct. Passive, yeah. Yeah. So, um, powerlessness is definitely a power for sure because when you admit that you are powerless over everything then you can begin to take steps towards um, trying to control everything which just makes you your whole life unmanageable like controlling and feeling like not being humble not being in humility and trying to control your situation people around you it it creates um, such a disturbance in the mind. So admitting you're powerless is kind of a form of humility. It is. Mm-hmm. It's the first step towards it, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I guess these are the. I mean, these are the steps: is that you admit you're powerless. That's number one, right? And that your life has become unmanageable. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that helped you. Yeah, it just helped me surrender to a new way of living, you know, mm-hmm. which for me meant not getting intoxicated. Mm-hmm. But for for other people dealing with other stuff, it could mean, you know, not watching porn, you're, you know, not having porn on their computers, on their phones, not going to whatever, you know, like Any there's addiction. sex. Yeah, there's the sex and love addiction. There's food. Mm-hmm. I think food, honestly, is the hardest addiction because you Good. have Ugh. to eat. I feel horrible for people that have. Yeah. And real it's, it's a more disorders. accepted addiction 
in society. Is it? I feel like fat is so unacceptable. I think the, the fat part of it is people are judging, but as far as it, it's part of our traditions, it's part of Thanksgiving. You're going to eat all this food. Culture. You're going to have all this pie, and that's good. That's happiness. That's love. Food Where, is love. That's yeah, what I do yeah, always say that. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's part of it. So in that way, it's, it, overeating is accepted under certain circumstances. So is drinking. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Having alcohol is a tough one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I love humility. To me, humility is just the bridge to so many steps. It really positions you to, like, just become more receptive to, like, a new way of living. Mm-hmm. I really think so. And, like, I, you know, there, there's a whole spiritual aspect to recovery, um, well, which is what turns people off. But Well, yeah, I've, why do people turn to heavy drugs? I mean, uh, is, it, is it different so for everybody? Reasons. Yeah, it's different for everybody. You, so many different reasons, yeah. You were fighting, you were using it to fight depression or were you using it to... Oh, so many different reasons. So many different reasons. Oh, yeah, it was always mm-hmm. changing. I mean, I think some people are born into it. I think some people do actually have a DNA makeup for it. Chemically? Totally. Uh-huh. I think there's psychological patterns, too. Like, if their dad was like some, right. you know... <laughs> do most people do it to just escape or to deal with their... Lot, there's that. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the women that I work with are coming from... Um, I mean, their stories are just dark and, you know, heavy yeah. and um, very violent or, you know, they're they're the people living in those places that you and I don't live, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I've been and, to a couple of meetings and it's always like pretty shocking. Yeah. Like yeah. some people in my in my meeting experience that I've seen there are like, whoa, yeah, they got in deep. Yeah, well, yeah. and then these are you know these women that I work with, like they're or in the jails and stuff. Like they were just born into it. Their families were addicts. And you they don't know the, any better. You went to the jail and spoke to them while they're in prison. Yeah, I would take not prison. I've I would love to go to a prison, <laughs> um, but there aren't any uh, women prisons where. Like in, you know, driving distance really from where I live. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would bring a meeting into the jail every Tuesday or once a month Tuesday, I think it was. You would conduct a meeting there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I would wow. bring a meeting in. and Just you or you would bring people from the outside? Sometimes I would bring people in to speak and stuff, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many different reasons why people get intoxicated. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, I just love learning more and more about it, but I think... Like one of the issues with like the medical world and science is that they love to put blanket statements all over everything. Uh-huh. Even or in law, you know, judges like they, we make these rules, like these blanket rules. I have, I have a saying like, beware of all blanket statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, every person's an individual, and every brain chemistry is is different, and there are similarities between cases, but. You know, some people don't come from, they come from a totally normal household, uh-huh. which what? maybe is why they want to use and go the dark path. Like, you know, right. like you never know, right. you know, there's no telling. Like, all I know is that people that are at the end of their using, which is usually when I meet them and which is where we've all, you know, been that have been through the program or whatever, um, they're usually beaten up emotionally mm-hmm. by the the lifestyle they're exhausted they're out of ideas they're um to live 
um, you know, a healthy life. They don't know what to do. They're confused. They're lonely. They're broken. They feel like they're unfixable, mm-hmm. untreatable. And you have to deal with they all get that sus- stuff, huh? You know, a lot of them are suicidal. I don't. I mean, unless I'm sitting in a meeting and someone brand new, like, walks in the door, but... What's it I don't like? have to deal with any of it. You but ha- yeah, you don't have to. Some do. people I don't. Some people I'm just like, ugh, I can't. Right. Do you get compassion fatigue? Not as much. Mm-hmm. No. I, I. You know, I'm very. I have really good boundaries. Um, so I. How and, do you do that? You just like shut down emotionally and don't let them in. No, I just. Well, I guess on a whole, I just believe that everything is happening. Everything's everything that is happening in the world is is fine, like from you know murders, you know killing people in a movie theater mm-hmm. to a nineteen year old helping autistic kids. You know, like you don't let it bother you. No, I just accept life for right. what it is. I've always been like that, though. I didn't it, learn that in program. Accept was, the chaos of life. Yeah, I yeah. just, I just feel like you know, everyone's worried about global warming and stuff. It's just not my fight, you right. know. Yeah, I'd rather like help the person on the street that's like right in front of me. Like I can't worry about all this other stuff, and I don't think that other people shouldn't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that everyone should think like me. You right, know, right, right. I see the beauty in people fighting for the left and then there's the people fighting for the right, yeah. you know, but I don't think the people on the right are, um, are evil people. And if there are evil people, they're, they're valuable just like everyone else is. Do you yeah. think you'd feel differently if you had kids? Totally. You would? <laughs> I think so. I think right. it would be terrible. Cause you'd be I'm worried kidding. about their, their future. Oh, man. At so the same time, I think a kids. lot of people, and this is not for everyone, but a lot of people who are worrying about the bigger fights are not are in they're not able to take on the situation in front of them right i'd rather fight global warming than take care of my family or my friends or the, or yeah. the, the homeless person that that lives on my corner but that's okay like that's that. where i come in or are yeah, other maybe people yeah, like yeah, me? yeah yeah that, that's <laughs> I, i'm saying i i feel in a lot of ways the things that you do are much are, are harder to do or tougher you know or more, more personal, direct yeah more know. personal yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people that just, you know, scream about the bigger picture, it's easier because they, they can just rant on Facebook and then turn off their computer and then dismiss their spouse. Or beat their spouse. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but I like there's what Shad is saying. There is a place for everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a place for those people. Yeah. So, okay. So then I go, you know, if I go in and I hear someone and their story is just horrendous and like, you know, I don't I actually, I mean, I my boyfriend sitting over there. There was one time when I came home <clears throat> from a meeting mm-hmm. at this um, facility and I did like, I just cried, you know, it just, but I think that was only once. Mm-hmm. I usually don't, I'm just like, yeah, that was your life. That was then. What are you going to do about now? Right. You know, you would say that to them or sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because people get, they get stuck in their past. It's a perfect reason to use yes. is to be a victim. People always just base their future on their past. Sure. Yeah. And I've told people. It's not like, their fault, but they do do it. Right. Well, yeah. that was you back then, but chemically and physically, we are constantly changing. Like, yep. you know, our cells regenerate every six months. Right. You don't have to be that person in the future that you were in the past. Yep. Yeah. I was just thinking there's that guy, um, Oh, God, I'm so bad at trying to remember names on the spot. He has, like, a big, nice haircut, and he does, like, self-motivate. He's, like, the motivation. Anthony Robbins? Yes. Yeah. 
I loved his TED talk. He talked about he he conveyed he like revealed his story mm-hmm. of his childhood. Mm-hmm. It was really heavy and dark. Yeah, I know his and story. Then, and then he talked yeah. about though how that that's not really his story anymore. He decided to have it's a not di- his identity. Yes, right. Yeah, he totally separated himself. And some people might hear that and think that he's lying to himself and he's not living in you know reality, but. I mean, from taking so, so many psychedelics, I've learned that you really do make your own reality. So if you don't want that to be your story, it really doesn't have to. Yeah. And you don't have to talk about it anymore. You don't have to relive it. You don't have to go back and deal with those people anymore. Your parents don't have to be your parents anymore. Like mm-hmm. you really can just free yourself, you know, yeah. and move you can, forward. You can be Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> But just for you a can. few years. Oh, I would love that. Someone walking around like Ziggy Stardust. I think it's just scary to make those big changes. And, and you know, that those bad memories for many people are, are comfort. They can just, it's... In, an, in a really a healthy, twisted way, it's yeah. It's not healthy at all, but it's it's, it's Well, because it's not it's the unknown, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Right, it's known. It's like, oh, I know that I'm comfortable with it, even if it is your own personal health. So my take on that is, but aren't you bored? I'm right with you on that. Aren't Seriously, you so bored it's with gets, what you know. Like you yeah. know that world so well, and totally. it's so, it's so you know you just know it. Like it is whatever it is. It's like lonely or it's boring. I don't know. Your world is so small. Like don't you want to like? Do you hear that a lot? New, right? Do you hear that a lot from addicts? They just reaffirm their own fate. They're I don't saying, hear oh, them say it. <laughs> is that what you oh, mean? You, like, they don't, right, they don't say that, but that's that. what you're, is that what you're interpreting from them? Well, yeah, because they'll get out of an institution and they go right back into where they are, where they've come from. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, fortunately where we live in the Hudson Valley, there's amazing actual rehab for when people get out of places. They have halfway houses. Okay. Family of Woodstock is incredible. Uh-huh. They do so much for the community to rehab people out into the world so that they don't have to go back to their home with their using parents and their, you know, dealer on the corner and all that kind of stuff right. that happens. Um, but yeah, a lot of people just, is that what you're asking? Like they just go right back to this old world and I was thinking, starts all over. Yeah. I mean, there is that. I was thinking more uh, psychologically, mm. like how they just, oh, but I'm, I I get depressed, so I got to do this. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe you don't get depressed anymore. You've been using for a couple of years. Maybe if you stop, you won't be a depressed person. You don't know. It's been a couple of years. And right? honestly, I don't work with people that are on that loop. I can't, I mean, I do on a general way when I bring uh-huh. in a meeting, but not, not one-on-one, not, not intensively. I would never give someone that's in that loop my phone number. Uh-huh. Really? Mm-hmm. You just kick them to the curb? They're not ready. They're not ready? No. How do they get ready? More and more pain. It's really sad. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's not even, like I said, it's not even their fault. They just have to keep... They have to keep looping until they realize that they don't, they can't loop like that anymore. They have to wear tell, down whatever that thing is inside of them that's keeping them on that loop. Do you tell them that? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Is there a common but thing? You gotta you s- let people go. You know, There's right? So many people. Well, you can't take on the weight people. of the world. Yeah, you can't take everything no. on. No, and it's not. It's not a big deal. I mean, that's just the fate of some people you know Mm -hmm. as a person that helps other addicts is there a common thing you see with addicts emotionally psychologically 
their thought, the way their mind thinks. Self-entitlement is the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, interesting. Self-entitlement. Um, what do you mean by even that? Even people that are just like, they don't have anything, you know, but just like, I can't believe that she da 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 and like, how dare they talk to me? And mm-hmm. just this like Is that arrogance. a victimization? Probably. Oh, yeah. It's like layers and layers underneath all of the uh-huh. the vibrato of it. But yeah, it's just, there's not soft yeah, uh-huh. you know, I like it when people are like introspective, s- soft and scared and like kind of quieter, uh-huh. you know, a little bit more open. Like I did find that about those meetings that there's a lot of really hardened people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't work with people like that. Uh-huh. I like people that are like terrified that they're broken beyond belief and that those are like almost that's like when someone's like more ready is that the humility you're talking about yes uh-huh. yeah 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 silence well, that's interesting yeah i think N- now that you've gone through recovery you're helping others how does that does that influence your songwriting yeah <laughs> i'm bringing it back <laughs> to music <laughs> Um, would, would would someone who who listened to or read the lyrics of one of your songs ten years ago versus today, would there be a vast difference in in the voice? No, because I'm singing the songs I wrote ten years ago okay. today, and but I've always been a student of psychology, and I've mm-hmm. always been a student of self help. I don't know if it's because I'm from the Bay Area, but I always did the artist way and the vein of gold. And I've always been, you know, healers and psychics. And um, uh, so I've always been singing about, you know, believing in yourself, light and dark and how, you know, the two interplay and how to bring the light into the dark and like all this stuff. And that's why... um, as I'm channeling all this music through what also came through was like, you can't sing about this stuff and then go snort Oxycontin. Right. <laughs> it just is not, you know, is working. It, it, is it stifling at all singing songs that you wrote 10 years ago? Like, do you put yourself, cause sometimes if I think about something I wrote, I, I remember exactly where and when I was mm-hmm. when I wrote it. Do you have that flashback emotionally? No, because I, well, yes, I definitely have that flashback. It actually, it just happened the other night. Um, we were rehearsing a song and I started singing it in this different key because that was the original version of it that mm-hmm. I've since changed to a, from a minor to a major. Um, but yeah, I can see the loft in Bushwick. I see Banks playing drums. He was our old super and he had, you know, yeah. And, um, and I, you know, we would both be high on dope or whatever. And, uh, but I knew I was conscious. I knew, um, during that time, cause I had a finger injury, mm-hmm. my little finger and, um, that turned into a lawsuit. And I remember talking to my landlords at the time and saying, would you be willing to take a lien against this lawsuit? Uh-huh. Um, so that I don't have to pay rent for two years. Wow. And so in Bushwick, you know, from 2000 and, Five, I guess, to 2007 or eight, I didn't pay rent. Whoa. And I, I used that time as, you know, an investment in my music career. And I just worked less and wrote more music. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think because I knew that I was writing stuff that I really believed in, um, 
which I always have. I've always believed in the music. Even though you were uh, not your full potential at the time, it doesn't bring you back to that place? But I was at my full potential creatively. Creatively, okay. I really was. So you're able to separate who you were creatively with who you were on a social level. Yeah, I definitely That's think interesting. so. Yeah, because there were... Yeah, there were times when I could have furthered my career. Um, you know, I was meeting people that were in the music industry and whatnot. And I just never, I, I knew it wasn't right. I never wanted to sacrifice. the. Mu I knew the music was sacred, mm -hmm. is how I thought of it. Yeah. And um, I didn't want to taint it with some other shenanigans I was doing, you know, to like with these people in the industry that I was meeting in this really weird, dark way. Like, I just never wanted to bring that in uh -huh. to my music. Music, to me, was always the Did, would it taint it? Would it taint it by packaging it and releasing it at the time? Yeah, I didn't want to... Yeah, like, if someone was going to come in and further my music career with that industry, these were industry people, right. I just I felt like it was the wrong way to bring that in. I'd rather wait. Uh-huh. For the process. So you never felt when you were writing it that you wanted to package it and get it out there? I did. I knew it was really powerful. And my old writing partner at the time, um, I mean, and I've written before her and I've written after her, but there was some music that she and I wrote too t during that time that was really powerful that I released now. And we both were just like, this has to get out, which mm -hmm. is why, and I think I talked to her talk to you about that at one point you know like how do i cut her in blah 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 oh right that <laughs> but, writing stuff yeah but she she's still to this day it's just like it has to get out there like we really believe in the music and well that's interesting because like the goal-oriented part of me feels like it's not fully complete until it's finished and out in the world like i think for me that just clears my mind of it once it's packaged and out I'm like done with it and I'm on to the next thing. Wow. If it's not packaged and out, I feel like I'm holding, I'm still carrying it around with me and it wears me down. Oh, it does? Yeah. It's huh. so weird. Like I still have songs that aren't released and they, they're in my mind, like just weighing me down. I just want to like either erase them or put them out or just accept that they're not good enough to be put out yet, you know, mm. but I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I'm just like, I'm, kind of a goal. Stop writing <laughs> so that you don't keep creating more stuff to carry around. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a weird goal-oriented thing and I don't know where that comes from and I don't think necessarily that it's a good thing, hmm. but that's just how my mind worked Interesting. at the time. I've released or recorded some songs like so many different times, so many different ways. I feel like none of them are ever finished. It's just a version of them at that moment. Maybe that's what it is because it's not they don't have the, you're making them they don't ever have to be finished until they're packaged and released but they're still not finished to me but you can't go back and redo them i'm know? gonna redo one of the songs <laughs> from the ep that i released that's true you can arcade fire did it that's, so i'm gonna garfunkel did they well, sounds of silence was totally bombed the song totally bombed their first record bombed love and these stories the second record they redid sounds of silence with a different producer and they range if you listen to both they're like two totally different songs nice the first album it's very like 60s flowery yeah. and the second one the sound of silence is such there's, a dark and there's percussion in it as percussion well, right? oh, yeah, bass, and it's huge. dark yeah. yeah and then that was their breakthrough hit nice yeah see Work with a good producer. 
<laughs> that's the lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 May I ask help. why you're not writing as much these days or not writing at all? I wrote one song for the next record that we're, I mean, I write a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I have, um, not lyrics, but I have like a lot of um, super catchy melody melodies that go over like catchy guitar parts and stuff. At least to me, they're they're really catchy and awesome but uh i haven't written lyrics in like a really 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 long time and i actually decided to take one of these catchy things and uh write lyrics to it for this new record so this new Mm -hmm. record will have a song that was created you know in the last couple years i'd be psyched to hear lyrics that you're written that were written from this new sober shauna oh yeah yeah it's um i was terrified uh-huh. <laughs> I was like freaking out, sitting there trying to write everything. Like, yeah, you know, almost like, how does this work? And can I do this? And is, is that how you normally would write? Would it be the chords and melody first, and then you write the lyrics? Oh, it's all so different. Sometimes I'll write while it's coming out. It'll, you know, and I'll hit record, and then the whole song just comes out. Lyrics, melody, everything. Yeah, kind of. And then you, you know how it is. You go back and you have to decipher what you were saying uh-huh, and stuff. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. Mike and I were just Mike's my boyfriend. He's in here right now. Drummer. Drummer. Um, do yeah. You, do you have less confidence in your creativity without using? Is that part of it? No. No, it's just um, it's like a it's like a workout or you know like a da- like a dance class that I haven't taken in a really long time. You it know, feels exhausting. No, it, it's terrifying. It's not, I mean, yeah, probably exhausting mm-hmm. after. I was just terrified, like, am I still going to be good at it? But I, I am right. I am good at it. It came out really good. I'm really excited. You are an amazing singer and guitar player, so that's, yeah. I mean, lyrics are a weird thing because, you know, who do you write for? Do you write for yourself? Do you write for other people? Yeah. You're, you're the one that's going to have to sing them, so you're the one that has to feel good about it. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited about the lyrics to the song. It's, uh, do you want me to tell you the concept? Sure. So the song is called Cool Kids. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to release it. <laughs> we should release it. No, we're going to release it. So it's called Cool Kids, and it's, um, it's a song that, like, when, when it first comes in, like, you, you think that the person singing it is singing about, like, really, like, cool-looking kids, but it's actually singing to all of the um, socially awkward, super sensitive, mm-hmm. you know... Um, yeah, just the awkward kids. And those are actually the cool kids. And the whole message is, is to be nice to those kids because they're actually cooler than you are. Even though you think you're really cool, they're actually really cool. They're the ones that are like designing software and like, right. do you know, they're, they're amazing. They're just not, they're socially awkward. And That's very timely right now because nerds are in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one thing Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney was asked, you know, looking back on the Beatles, if he had any regrets. Uh, and he said, you know, I don't regret anything lyrically because I never sang anything that was negative. You know, when he thinks back about all the Beatles catalog, he's like, it's all pretty much just about love and, you know, goodness. There's nothing really negative on there, which is rare. You know, almost every artist has a lyric that they regret later hmm. in life. Hmm. So he didn't regret being an asshole to the rest of his band. <sighs> Just that all his lyrics. <laughs> Who knows what their dynamics were? Yeah. I'm sure they're all difficult. I'm but sure. Yeah. But I know most people, I mean, mm-hmm. the Beastie Boys tried to like can their first, you know, the girls' song, they hate that song. 
But then again, what, what we were saying earlier about like not feeling bad about your past, that's who the Beastie Boys were. That was their persona when they were 19 years old. And that, that's fine that a, that a, you know, a 45-year-old Beastie Boy doesn't need to regret that. Easier. They were, they were normal 19-year-old boys at the time. Easier said than done. When you, that's the hard thing about releasing art of any kind. It's like you have to accept yourself. But he's, they're the harshest critics. Like, no one's going to be like, oh, I'm not going to listen to any Beastie Boys or like any Beastie Boys because their first album was offensive. Sexist. Yeah, no one at the time was like, this is sexist. It was, it was If you hear shit. it now. Now. You're like, who are yeah. these jerks? <laughs> but you're also older as well. I mean, it was, it, it, was, it, it was right for the time and for the mood. But didn't yeah. that happen? That came out like when they were like doing free Tibet and everything. Remember that? They were getting a little spiritual. and. I think that was after the first record, right? No, but I mean the apologies oh, the, yeah, 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 started exactly. to come out during that time. Yeah. They were becoming <clears throat> more socially conscious. Right, and, they were maturing growing up. And you guys, at the podcast that I just listened to, um, you guys were talking about you know how you have to be so politically correct these days. He was talking about writing jokes for Rodney Dangerfield and yeah. like all these guys. And you know those jokes wouldn't work now because everyone's so PC about everything. And the culture is constantly changing. Totally. Yeah. If you watch Eddie Murphy, I think it's Raw, <clears throat> which yep. is like so popular in its day. Mm-hmm. It's unwatchable. He's in the red le- leather. The red leather. Faggot yeah. this. Faggot that. You crazy faggot this. homophobia. It's yeah. so homophobic. It's crazy. It's not even funny. But, yeah, but at the time it it was funny. It was legitimate. No totally. one was 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 reacting poorly to it. Yeah, and that's that's you know, I don't think. I mean, unless you're really physically hurting someone, yeah, it's embarrassing. But that's what you were doing when you were when you're that age. And when Eddie Murphy got caught with the transvestite in his car, <laughs> he was probably thinking about the fact that that's still out there. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, I mean, I kind of envy people though. That have that sort of, um, they just don't care. I mean, they care, I guess, about the laughs maybe in that situation or artists that are just like getting it out, you know, like I don't, I don't envy people that are offensive, but I definitely envy people that are just, you know, throwing themselves out there and like, like really like free spirited inhibition is the word. But when you're that popular... And you think people are taking your lyrics as a message, then maybe you they maybe the Beastie Boys had a second thought. They're like, oh, I don't want people to hear this and think that that's what girls are for to clean up the bathroom and whatever the other lyrics are. That's hilarious. I mean, yeah, I mean it's so silly, yeah. but yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, your head. music is so pretty anyway that some of it's gotten pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Heavy lyrically? Just sound wise. There's some, there's like dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's yeah. dark uh, chords and stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're going on tour soon. We are going to go on tour. Um, we're just doing a short run. We're going to go down to Austin and back mm-hmm. right before the holiday, before Thanksgiving. Nice. And we have some good shows coming up. We're actually playing tonight in um, Brooklyn and then we're playing next Thursday, it's St. Vitus opening up for an artist. And it's been fun, like, coming down because I get to see you and Erica. Yeah. And uh, I love Brooklyn, even though I do live upstate now. But um, it's fun to have a reason to, like, come down once yeah. a month, you know. You do come down more often than most people that live upstate. Oh, good, good. That's good. It's the shows. Mm-hmm. And how far are you into the next record? 
we're i've been demoing it we're gonna record it this winter cool so that's soon yeah i'm fucking dan like our our uh, engineer dan uh, goodwin yeah. it's like every week he's like yeah 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 we're gonna get dinner and talk about it because i gotta figure out how much he's gonna charge me too you right, know right like he cut me a deal last time i have no idea like what you know i don't want to expect anything you yeah, know but, but you've got some leverage now you'd be like hey man your your production got released on team love records that's worth something you've got a little muscle now yeah well he does big records though he's does he the label not pay for the recording no oh Oh no! I don't know many labels that do. Even like the bigger labels, like just, their budgets just are putting small. Putting it out and getting it out there for you and promoting it. Yeah, labels. Um, labels are their role has changed, but I think that's okay. I think it's okay for a band to like. It's funny because I was painting yesterday with Mimi Gaze from mm-hmm. Hugo Largo, which was she's like my music idol, uh-huh. and I'm like house painting with her, and we're talking about the music industry, and she's talking to me about some people that live up in Woodstock and all that and that are that have been in the industry since probably the 70s and saw the big money and now they just Mm -hmm. complain about how everything is nowadays and you know and I told her I was like you don't listen to them you know because the the music industry I mean definitely it's changed it's not what it was but there's plenty of people um, making money off of their music Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of bands that are you know their friend has an awesome studio and they cut them a deal and you know they definitely have to pay for the recording but it's not that much like my friend dan did for me last year right. and recording's gotten cheaper yeah recording's gotten cheaper and then you know you get signed to a little label and that label's kind of hip and maybe they only release tapes or maybe they you know they they have their thing and like team love records like they do a lot of vinyl and they're they're in their little niche and then you know, you get like a good PR campaign. Like these bands are touring all over the place and they're getting booking agents and they're getting guarantees. I mean, Mike, my boyfriend runs a music venue and I see the the numbers flying around. Mm-hmm. You know, people are definitely making a living off of touring. Touring, yeah. Not to mention that once they get all of that, then they're hooked in with a licensing company. Like we, you know, we we just got some licensing too for a little show. And Oh, cool. What show? The Royals. Uh, yeah, I've seen that on one of those things. <laughs> nice. I guess. Yeah, but you know, it's the beginning, but um but you know, like all this little stuff starts to happen and it's like I don't know. People love to complain about the music industry and I love to not complain about it. That's refreshing. I really think it's like it's just its own little thing. It's usually, you know, really cool people that are involved in it. There's nicer people now in Brooklyn by the way, than I've ever experienced in my entire life. Humility has definitely entered the music industry. And the Midwest. Uh Uh-huh. Midwest? (laughs) Yeah. Like, or people, you know, people from all over the... Well, I feel like the ego... The Midwest. People used to be way more egotistical when it came to music. And now everyone's making less money and it's just like, all right, chill with your ego. People are so sweet. Like, I get booking emails from guys in Brooklyn and there's like little hearts in there and... Exos like people are just softer and mm. that might nicer. Just be their fake personas that they're using. Oh, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I and yeah, there's two things that I fight against: that's the dissing of Brooklyn mm-hmm. and the dissing of the music industry. That's good. I think that'll probably serve you better than <laughs> than dissing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, the label doesn't pay for the the recording, but that's okay. It's okay. Cool. Well, I'm psyched to hear the new record, and I'm psyched to hear that you're writing new lyrics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool That's- kids. When you guys hear that song, 
come out on the the big airwaves of uh, radio and yes. <laughs> or, or while I'm shopping at Madewell. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good memories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does have a good memory. There you go. For like within an hour's time. And I don't think we ever said my name once, but... Oh, I do a, I'll do an intro. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. There's, there's a little background before you come on. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I was listening to that. I was going to try and guess what might, like, what the song might be. I was going to try and, like, sing it coming <laughs> into the interview. Oh, you should come in and record your own intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you use a lot of your music, Gary. Just I do. So the listeners, you never say that, but I the know. listeners don't know that Gary is a very accomplished, amazing, well, you know, you, yeah, you hear about his touring, but... His music is the background often. Yeah, for, every intro I've done, I it think. It is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I recognize a lot of Using it. Using my instrumentals. It's great. It's nice to do record the intro over some music. It's uh, way better than talking and over where silence. The, where does the G, 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 G Oh, that's a sample. It's a Bowie sample. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool, right? So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Do we right. miss anything? I know you have to go to a show. Um, no, we're good. Thanks for keeping an eye on the yeah. time. And the applause are about to come on, right? Yeah, yes. Right. People will applaud after this. Did, did we miss any pertinent information? I don't think so. Okay, I don't good. know. Mike, you want to come on the mic and say anything? Michael Amari. You could say it from there. He's stretching. He just ate. He just ate a we're, Bushwick burrito. We're getting a what a across the neck nay. Yeah. When, when you wave your hand across the neck, yeah. that means the uh, international mafia sign for decapitation. <laughs> yes, decapitation. <laughs> cool. Uh, Thanks so much for doing this, Sean. I'm so awesome. glad. You know, I'm a huge fan. Ah, uh, thanks. Of your podcast, and I'm a fan of your music. And um, I've been listening to to each podcast every week while I'm house painting upstate. It'll be interesting for you to listen to this one. I don't know if I'm going it's to. Hard to. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. Maybe. But it was nice to meet you, Matt. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Enjoy. Yeah. Have a good show tonight. Okay. I'll see you there. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye.